Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Liz Bendit is currently president and CEO of The Balm Box, a self-care and gifting site for breast cancer patients. In addition to teaching undergraduate business marketing courses at University of Kansas, Bendit also serves on the Education First Shawnee Mission Board of Directors and volunteers with National Charity League. She lives in the Kansas City suburbs with her husband and two children. Liz, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to have you. And as you know, before I hit record, you told me something very funny and I almost (laughs) used it in your bio. So would you, before we do the deep dive into cancer, would you please tell us what you said when I asked how to pronounce your last name. It's bend it, don't break it. And that is how my (laughs) husband introduced himself when trying to pick me up at a bar and it worked. (laughs) So I'm not sure which of us is the bigger dork, my husband or me. I don't know. It was meant to be, obviously. Oh, gosh, I love it. I love it. I mean, as soon as you said that, I knew how to pronounce it, but (laughs) that's just the best. How long have you been married? Uh, Oh, almost 20 years. We're here to talk about cancer and your story. So take us back to the very beginning. What happened? Well, okay, so my cancer journey has, as you know, it has a four time. So I have had cancer four times over the past 10 years. Um, They happened in a space of eight years, um, which was bananas. Knock on wood, I've been cancer free for four years now. So we're gonna call that a win. I'd be really excited when I hit that five year mark that feels very meaningful you know, in the breast cancer statistics. Um, Back in 2009, my daughter was three, my son was one, um, and we were at the swimming pool. And my son just wiped out. He had been swimming, he was tired, he was sleeping on me. And so I was letting him sleep on me in the hot sun because he was cuddling and so cute. And the only reason I say this is that I was kind of in a weird, awkward position with kind of my leg kind of framing him so he wouldn't slip off. And my mom was with us and she was looking at the spot on the top of my leg. And she kept saying that, that's a mole and that's not normal and you need to have that checked out. I, it was maybe the size of my pinky nail, however big we want to call that, like quarter of an inch. It wasn't that big and it was a, You can't really see on a podcast, right? But I'm very freckled and I have lots of freckles everywhere and I didn't really pay much attention to it. And I was a full-time working mom, two little kids. My mom was nagging me about a mole in my leg. Like, forget that. I wasn't going to deal with that. (laughs) My mom, being my mom, nagged the crap out of me, right? So she emailed, she called, she... She was worried. She was really worried. Like, it was really bothering her. So finally, after, I mean, literally... Multiple calls, emails, voicemails. I finally, she actually sent me the phone number of a dermatologist so I wouldn't have to work one up. Like she was just all over it. Finally, just to make my mom shut up, right? I went to the dermatologist and they didn't like the look of the mole either. They took a section of it. Um, three days later, they called and said, You have melanoma. And melanoma, for those not in the know, I certainly didn't know at the time, is a very, very fast moving cancer. And if it spreads to your liver lungs, you're kind of, that's it, it's game over. And if it doesn't spread, it's like 
no big deal. Put on more sunscreen. I mean, it's a very, very scary cancer because of how fast moving it is. And so they, when they called and said, okay, you've got, here's the thing, you've got melanoma. We'd like you to have surgery within the week. Um, whatever's on your schedule, you need to just, we're going to make an appointment with you with a surgeon for a referral. You need to go to that appointment. We don't really care what else is on your calendar. Nothing is more important than this. Like it was a very urgent, matter of fact, holy crap moment. And so I went from that uh, biopsy to diagnosis to surgery in the space of seven days. And so you can imagine working parent, got two little kids, like it was just completely bananas. And so um, that surgery was on a Friday and we had to wait all weekend for um, the biopsy to come back and let us know whether it had spread. And so on Monday, got the call, it hadn't spread. It was all fine. Wear some more sunscreen. Mom gets a great big, I told you so. You move on with your life, right? <laughs> um, so it was a very intense week, right? But that was very insane. But you kind of like shrug it off and move on. 11 months later, I went in for a regular mammogram and it came back abnormal. And so I had to go have a biopsy. And while the breast surgeon, um, as kind of part of the pre-op appointment, you go in, you know, and everyone's feeling you up, right? You got like 700 people checked in your boobies. The surgeon, her fingers start traveling to my neck and she notices a lump in my neck and she doesn't like the look of that. So she says, you know, we're going to biopsy that too. So it was a two for that day. I got a biopsy. She didn't do the same biopsy, different biopsy, but regardless, had breast biopsy and the thyroid biopsy. At the time, the breast was nothing. It was like a no big deal thing. The um, neck was thyroid cancer. So 11 months after having been diagnosed with melanoma, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I had no symptoms. You need thyroid function for metabolism. So it processes all the hormones that you need to um, metabolize food. And some people, um, when they have thyroid problems, either under or over, right? Their thyroid will underperform, meaning that like it just doesn't, pro it processes very slowly and overperforming it processes super fast. And I didn't have any of those issues. I was pretty normal. It was very weird that I would have this cancer and not have any symptoms. Very frustrating, right? To, to have a cancer surgery when you don't feel sick right? Like, but I ended up in a very, very teeny, teeny, tiny portion of patients. It happens to 2% of patients where when they remove my thyroid gland, they also, um, my parathyroid gland stopped working and parathyroid glands are next to the thyroid gland. So they're called parathyroid and those mm -hmm. glands process calcium in the bloodstream. I was released from the hospital and my fingertips were kind of numb and my lips were numb and they said, do you know that's really normal? Sometimes it takes a couple days for the parathyroid glands to kind of wake up after surgery. No big deal. Just have a little, take some Tums. They have a little extra calcium in them. So I went home, took some Tums, and then took some more and then took some more and it was just not working and my lips were really, like I couldn't feel my lips anymore and my hands were kind of numb. I called the 800 line or called the doctor line saying, hey, you know, is this normal? And they're like, well, how much, how many times have you had? I'm like, well, I've had about 20. <laughs> they're like, well, get into the ER right now. And so it turns out I was going into what's called hypocalcemic shock. Calcium, you need calcium in the bloodstream to process um, muscle function. And so if you don't have enough calcium, it starts in the extremities. So for me, it was like my hands and lips are always where I feel it. And then it'll travel up your muscles and eventually hit your heart and your heart's a muscle and your heart stops beating and you die. Just the little things yeah. like that. Yeah, right? I do need Just the heart, right? You know, <laughs> fingertips. When you donate platelets, yeah. 
uh, you lose a lot of calcium. Ah. And so typically when people donate platelets, they have them chewing Tums the whole time. It makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Things that I probably could not do would be donating platelets. So, yeah, uh, probably not. <laughs> so the it's because it's such a rare condition, there isn't like a pill that you can take or a recognized standard treatment. You just... There are different things that endocrinologists do to try to boost calcium production in your body. And so I ended up in the hospital for two weeks while they tried to figure out a medical, a drug protocol that would solve um, or at least get me off of IV calcium and, uh, and help me keep the calcium that I was ingesting. I, it was not pleasant. <laughs> uh, as my daughter would say, zero out of 10, do not recommend. Like I, it was a, not a fun treatment. There was one night in particular, when you talk about worst experiences where they were trying to figure out at what point my calcium would drop. And so every hour on the hour, they were doing blood draws um, to try to figure out at what point of the night my calcium would go away. It was really, really unpleasant. Um, But they figured it out, got me on a drug regimen, and I was out of the hospital, which was a win. But I was not feeling well. I was constantly sick. I was tired all the time. And I just couldn't, and I think now going back, I was for sure suffering from clinical fatigue. There's no question in my mind. But at the time, you know, you're busy, you're working, trying to get your life back together, kind of recovering from this traumatic surgery. Like, it's hard to know what's normal. But six months later, I was still really, really fatigued. I was tired. I had gained a lot of weight. Like I was just, something wasn't right. And so I complained to my endocrinologist, like, what? Something is wrong. Like, this is just not normal. I've, I wasn't even this tired when my kids weren't sleeping through the night. Like, what's what's going on? Because your thyroid was removed, I am assuming you were taking thyroid replacement hormones. Yes, I do now even. Okay. Even with that, you were still tired and you were gaining weight. The... Because normally, they would adjust your medication, right? Normally, they would just say, oh, well you don't have enough of this Synthroid or whichever one you're on, right? Right. So the Synthroid hormone, so thyroid, as you, you know, if you have Graves' disease and you see an endocrinologist, you're like way up to date on all this stuff. But thyroid problems are super common. Thyroid cancer is actually very, very common. I want to say that it was something like 20% of women will have thyroid cancer in the, between the time they're in their mid-30s to mid-40s or something like that. Don't quote me on that stat, but it's very high. And so as a result, there are a lot of really, really good drug therapies out there for it because there's so many people that need it, right? There's a market for it. And so the synthetic thyroid hormone that um, is called Synthroid is a really excellent product. There's research where like in a lab setting, they couldn't even tell the difference between synthetic thyroid or synthroid and real thyroid hormone because it was so good. So the question isn't so much whether that's a good drug, it's just what the dosage is. Then what gets really wackadoo is on paper, there are ranges in terms of what is quote unquote normal for all the different, you know, hormone values. And when I was going into what's called hypoglycemic shock, where like, I mean, they were watching me, like my hands, I couldn't move my hands. My face was like, was all like every muscle in my face was clenched to the point where I couldn't talk. Like there was just this terrible muscle clenching and things I can't make up. On paper, I was in what's called a normal range. So for whatever reason, my body needed a higher than normal range of calcium for normal calcium production or the or maybe that's a very hard thing to measure because it's not measured that often i i don't know enough about the science of it um but all i can tell you is that i for sure was suffering and when i complained to the endocrinologist and said 
this isn't right. I don't feel well. He said, you're a working mom. Working moms are always tired. And he blew me off. For whatever reason, my hormones just don't act like a normal humans. I don't know what to tell you. I did two things. One, I found a new endocrinologist that would listen to me. And then the second thing I did is I met with a nutritionist slash MD who looked at my labs and saw something very different. And she said, I think that you are behaving like a celiac would and let's take you off gluten and let's just see what happens. And lo and behold, I dropped gluten and went to an endocrinologist who also monkeyed a bit with my, my meds and monkeyed a little bit with when I take them, right? So what I take in the morning versus night, what I separate. And lo and behold, within six weeks, I felt like I woke up. I felt awake again. The reason I bring up this whole element, because it wasn't specific to cancer, it did educate me and it did kind of teach me to advocate for myself. So I've counted two cancers now. Yeah. When does number three happen? So number three, yeah, so we, we get to healthy, I run a half marathon, I'm back, I've got my life back. Um, and then 2015, um, now me and my dermatologist are besties and you go in every six <laughs> months and strip naked and they look at every inch of your body and it's super awesome and so comfortable. And I had a little nudge in my nose and I was really, I kind of wondered about it and she looked at it and said, yep, that doesn't look normal. And it turns out it was basal cell carcinoma. So the good news is basal cell, it's like a pre-cancer, it's a no big deal thing, Get just remove it. The downside is that it was on my nose and it was just big enough that required plastic surgery to cover it. And so she sent me upstairs to the plastic surgeon to get a consult and that plastic surgeon said, we are going to create a cut and we're gonna start from the inside of your eye and we're gonna cut all along your cheekbone down to your mouth and create this C-shaped scar on your face and then we'll rearrange the skin in your face to cover up the hole in your nose. And I was like, so I'm gonna be disfigured voluntarily <laughs> for, for this non-threatening cancer, this, really? <laughs> and he was like, yep, when would you like to make your appointment? I'm like, oh, it's just gonna to talk to somebody else. Then I you know, get out the Rolodex and I call everyone I know. I say, hey, do you know any of the plastic surgeons that you recommend and was referred to Dr. Coranda who, according to um, my neighbor, is quote-unquote good with faces, does all the facelifts in the area, I suppose. We, I went and consulted with him, and he had a totally different point of view, and he had this like crazy two-step surgery where um, they would remove the cancer and then stretch out the skin, and then they leave the skin basically open for a week, and then you come back, and then they're able to have loosened it just enough that they close it up, and then the scar is just right on the insides in the shadow of my nose. Like you can see me online. You can't, I'm not disfigured. I look like myself and there you go. So it's two surgeries, which sucks. You're walking around with an open wound for a week. Not pleasant. However, not disfigured. There's the win, right? Learning to get a second opinion, learning to kind of advocate for myself, learning to not just listen to the mean doctor that says, yeah, I'm going to disfigure you because that's the most efficient surgery for me. I don't really care about you as a patient. You know, again, learning, 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 right? So all these things kind of contribute. So had I not had that experience kind of, you know, firing one endocrinologist and going to another, maybe I would have allowed myself to be disfigured. But, you know, so just all these little things that you kind of learn across along the way is you got to stand up for yourself. You have to kind of take a little bit more um, control of your situation. So for me, it was unpleasant. And I do think the other element of this is... I mean, that sucked. Like that was that two week period that going through that process and having two plastic surgeries, it was painful, it was um, uncomfortable, it was inconvenient, but I chose it. 
right? Like it was my choice. And so because I chose it, I was all in. Like it, it felt less terrible because I opted in and this was what was going to help me avoid being disfigured. So I was really happy about that. 18 months later, <laughs> go back for the mammogram. It's the end of 2016. They're like, mm, we don't really like what we see, but we're not really sure. So come back in six months. So in 2017, come back. And they're like, yeah, no, what we saw has gotten bigger. So we're going to go ahead. Let's do a biopsy. Lo and behold, I have breast cancer. Fourth cancer. <laughs> so there we go. But here's the benefit of at least having had those three experiences beforehand. Now I know it's not fast moving. I, I could take a hot second to decide what I wanted to do. I didn't have to schedule surgery for Friday, you know. And so I interviewed surgeons. I interviewed oncologists. I interviewed the people that I, because there are a lot of choices. There are choices to be made. You know, you don't have to have a mastectomy. There are lumpectomy options. And, I, and I'm like a complete data junkie nerd. So I wanted to know what the outcomes were, right? What are the odds of recurrence if I go through option A, B, C, or D? And what are the combinations if, if I do A plus C, A plus B, B plus C, right? All these different combinations. And I wanted to work with somebody that would humor me <laughs> and talk to me about all those different variations so that I could make an informed decision. I got to tell you, there were some doctors that had no interest in having that conversation with me. They wanted to tell me what they were going to do. This was their plan. And that's that. And there were some amazing doctors that I still work with today that are fabulous and open and wonderful and constantly engaging me and saying, here's some new research you might want to look at. I know it's med speak. Tell me if you have questions. I mean, those are the people I want to work with. Again, not everyone is built like me. I think that there are certainly plenty of patients that would prefer to just be told what to do, but that's not who I am. So for me, I wanted that, a conversation. I didn't want a dictator. Um, and so I chose my medical care team. I, to this day, I'm really grateful. I think they're a wonderful group of surgeons and oncologists. I chose my care plan, got my lumpectomy, went into radiation. Now, the one thing I'll say about radiation is as in my mid-40s and, you know, everyone in the waiting room is generally older, not necessarily in as good health. They don't run half marathons. And so they kept looking at me saying, oh, you're so young, you're so healthy, you're going to sail right through this, no big deal. And so I made all of my appointments for 7.45 in the morning. The only thing I planned to not do was drive my kids to school. I was still going to go to work. I was still <laughs> the, the troop leader for my daughter's Girl Scout troop. Like there was just, I mean, I had planned to stop nothing. I was really shocked when all of a sudden I was really super burned. I was in a lot of pain. The fatigue hit me like a brick. I went from working 10 hour days to eight, to six, to four, you know, I, I wasn't able to work full time. I, chunks of skin were falling off. I, it was wearing clothes was uncomfortable. It was, it was a really miserable experience. And the, what really sucked about all of that was A, I wasn't prepared for it. And then B, like you need all this stuff that's not drugs, right? So the oncologist is wonderful as much as I love her. It's not like she's going to provide pillows that, you know, keep the weight of your arm off of your chest. And she wasn't able to provide ice packs that don't leak through your clothes. Like all of these things that you need that are functional, but not prescription. <laughs> and, and then I'm scrambling for all that stuff. And, you know, and I was really lucky in that. I mean, I of course was on Google searching for all this random stuff, paying $40 for overnight shipping for a $9 item, right? Those are things that I, you know, was blessed to be able to afford to do. It was inconvenient and frustrating, but at least I could throw some money at that problem, right? But other people can't do that. And I kept thinking there's got to be a better way. So that was where 
at that point in my cancer experience, I thought there's, there's got to be a better way. And in my back of my head, I'm like, where's radiationrelief.com? It's got to exist. And over time, I started playing around with that idea and started realizing that it's not just radiation. It's kind of all of these cancer treatments. There's all the palliative stuff that you need. And what you're receiving a lot of times from friends and family are, um, especially when I was going through breast cancer, a lot of pink stuff. Right. You get a lot of pink T-shirts and tote bags and and, you know, and it's so well-meaning. And and I don't mean to disparage gift givers. Right. Because it's so wonderful to be thought of, but it's not necessarily very useful. And I do have kind of like this love hate relationship with the pink stuff. I think that there is some kind of implied pressure with those kicking cancer tote bags and coffee mugs. And I agree. I think people are well-meaning, yes. but they don't know what to do, no, right? Yeah. They, they don't know what to do. You told us your worst moment. What was your best moment? My two girlfriends, you know, who lived through all eight of, you know, all eight years of this, wanted to do a finish line party for me at the end of radiation. They wanted to do a party. And I, you know, it was, it's unlikely, but I was like, yes, let's do that. And so, and it all came together over the course of like maybe three weeks. They put together this big party. It was right before Thanksgiving. Two of my best friends from graduate school that live in New York and Los Angeles flew into Kansas City for it. And we had this like finish line party. And it felt like, I don't know, like a period at the end of the sentence, you know, it was like this big moment of kind of acknowledging everything that had happened and kind of celebrating being past it. It felt like I put an end to the end of that era. I don't know. I loved that. That was a great party. I love I love that too. And I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who's done something quite like that. Like that's, <laughs> I'll let you pick which cancer on this one, but what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? I will say the hardest thing for me in this in the cancer journey in some ways was when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and there was no sense of urgency, right? Because I had been diagnosed mm. with melanoma and they were like, okay, we're going to do surgery in five days. And then with thyroid, they were like, okay, well, this is a slow moving cancer. So you hear these 75 labs you have to do and you have to meet with these doctors and we'll get you on the calendar for your surgery in two months. And I felt like I have to live with cancer for two months. Like that just felt like so stressful to me. And I wish that the me of 2021 could go back to the me of whatever that was 2012 and be like, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's not fast moving. Chill out. Plan. This is a blessing. You get to plan your childcare. You get to plan your time out of office. You get to pick when you're going to go. You don't always get those choices. Simmer down. It's all right. That's great advice. And I know a lot of thyroid cancer survivors get really upset when people say they had the good cancer. Oh, yeah. Nothing's good. But I mean, it is true of all the, but I mean, I don't know. Like, and that was one that gave me the most difficult side effects. So it's hard to say. If you could only do one thing (laughs) to improve healthcare in the U.S. and you only get one, what would it be and why? I especially go back to, especially my breast cancer diagnosis. That was the first time I had been put in touch with a nurse navigator. And every nurse navigator I've met since then has been a woman, but by no means is this a female. So I'm just, when I refer to them as she, it's just because that's my frame of reference. But I think they are just made of gold. I think having a nurse navigator, somebody, especially when you have a complex medical diagnosis, to kind of help be your own advocate um, and point you in the right direction, especially when you have multiple specialists that sometimes have conflicting advice or their advice is confusing, is invaluable. And I wish more people had access to them for free. Um, I am really lucky in that, again, I have always had uh, corporate 
healthcare, which tends to be the most comprehensive. We are financially well enough, off enough that we can afford, you know, incremental services. We live in a major metropolitan area where there are multiple, you know, hospitals to choose from, but I wish that there were more nurse navigators. I think that they are invaluable and probably underrepresented, especially in smaller rural areas. I, I love it. And, and they're not, they're in the major centers. Yeah. It's very rare yeah. to have a nurse or patient navigator in a smaller center. So no, I, I love it. All right. So are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? <laughs> sure. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beach Boys. I'm a clean cut girl. <laughs> <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Joyful. Oh, yeah. I think that's a great word. Yeah. And <laughs> um, before you die, what's the last song you want to hear? I skip. I'm not good okay, at this. You knew this was coming. <laughs> I know, but the the right. Yeah, I I should have. I should have had something prepared. I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll skip. Yeah. Pass. Okay. The last meal you want to eat? Oh, something with chocolate. And the last person or people you will see? My children and my husband. And the last words you'll speak? I love you. Did you think of a song yet? <laughs> <laughs> No, I only have inappropriate ones running through my head. I can tell you what's going through. That's okay. Pop the Magic Dragon, which is like not even a favorite. I don't know why. It was just something that's, that came to me. I have maybe something Peter Paul and Mary. I don't know. There you go. I like it. I like it. I keep thinking I should put a playlist together because oh, that'd be fun. I think I've only heard the same song twice. Really? Okay. Yeah. Everyone has such a, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, and aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And this is where I definitely want you to talk about your business. Yes. Well, okay. So my business, I think the bombbox.com. So, the, you know, going back to radiation thinking, there's got to be a better way. And the original idea was radiationrelief.com. And I very quickly realized that that was too small of an idea, right? That that there are so many things that we all need and want when we're going through surgery and chemo and radiation and all those pieces, and that um, there are so many things that you need and want that are non-prescription, right? They're just palliative. Oh, yeah. And so how can we make that better? And I developed um, and wrote a business plan and over the course of three years, I mean, it, I just sat on it and didn't really do a whole lot with it because life, right? And then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden I wasn't super busy anymore, right? Like everybody else was home. I did not have to attend volleyball tournaments or orchestra concerts or taekwondo. I wrote a survey and sent it to friends and family and said, hey, I have this business idea. Um, if you've been a cancer patient, you know, here are some ideas for items that I think would be really great self-care gift boxes. And if you've purchased gifts for a patient, you know, go down a different path, right? And the survey, and I said, hey, and if you could share it with friends and family, that would be great. Thinking, wouldn't it be great if I got like 50 responses? And I got over 600 <laughs> because it went viral. It was amazing. And it is a wow. beautiful thing because this was March of 2020 when everyone was home and bored and had nothing to do. So... And there was no incentive. There wasn't like a chance to win anything. It was just, hey, answer my survey. It was pretty great. The survey was so validating. It validated my experience completely. I would hope, you know, yours as, as well. 
when you ask people what are the top things that you want when I ask them to rate items on a scale of one to five, the absolute top performing items were all functional. Ice packs, lip balm, lotion, essential oils, which was something I wasn't as familiar with, but have sort of since, you know, learned a lot about. Things that got the worst ratings, got zero out of five, got the absolute lowest scores. Kicking cancer tote bags, kicking cancer coffee mugs, worry stones, inspirational poetry, right? Like all these things that like I, and if you ask people what they like to buy for patients, it's the pink stuff, right? So I thought there's this real disconnect between what people yeah. want and need and what people are buying. And that's so silly. Why can't we, why can't gifting be functional? This is, this is a gift slash service, but, yeah. but this would be on my low end. When I was going through it with my sister, great friend, kept wanting to buy meals for us, like have them delivered to our home. Yeah. And every time he tried to do it, and he was doing this from across the country, we weren't home. And even, you know, if he had, she couldn't eat it. Yeah. So it, it just, it was so well-meaning yeah. and very expensive at the yeah. time, especially but it didn't do us any good whatsoever. I had the same but different problem where people would so kindly put together meals for us, but you know, I don't eat gluten, my daughter doesn't eat dairy, my son won't eat anything green. Like, trust me, cooking for my family is the biggest pain in the butt of ever. I'm like a short order cook because I'm constantly having to kind of like rearrange things so that, you know, mine is gluten free and Eve's is dairy free and Alex, God forbid anything green touches plate. And so anyone would, you know, someone would bring us a lasagna and no one would eat it. So then you feel terrible because you have this food rotting in your fridge or the other opposite problem where like six people bring you something the same night and then, you know, five of those meals go bad. I don't know. Like, I don't mean to disparage it because it is so awesome and so well-meaning and personal. But at the same time, it just sometimes isn't as great as it sounds to have people bringing you meals. I don't know. So that's the idea behind the bomb box is that we've developed these, you know, really functional care packages. You can buy them for yourself. I believe very firmly in self-care, taking care of yourself, you know, advocating for yourself. You're a big advocate of that, which I so support and appreciate, or as gifts. And then um, even putting together combinations of things for radiation or chemotherapy as a subscription because they're both long-term treatment paths and it's really nice to get, you know, items that you're going to need over time so that it's not one and done but it's you get a little bit over time and i think that those things are really meaningful and helpful so that is what the bomb box is after getting all of that great feedback back in spring of 2020 uh we're able to get um, a little bit of funding and launched it in fall of 2020 and it's been out for a year and we're still going it's growing like crazy which is awesome and I've been picked up by a couple different news organizations, which was really helpful. Mm -hmm. My my vision, of course, is to get beyond breast cancer and to, and to offer packages for a whole variety of cancer treatments. Not quite there yet. Give us another year or so. But Well, that's awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way? Admin at thebombbox.com. <laughs> okay. I look at everything. So everything comes through there. It's me. Okay. I love what you did with this. Thank you. I, I kind of want to put it in your bio for you, you know, four-time cancer survivor. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that you, you took something and turned it into something that was clearly needed. Thank you. you know, really Thank clearly you. needed. And you're welcome. And the subscription model is brilliant because you're right. Many of these treatments are very long-term. I think it's going to do a lot of good. I mean, I know what it already is. And thank you. I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your story. Uh, thank you for having me. I, it's so important to 
advocate for yourself, right? I feel like so much of my story is about my journey learning how to take a little more control of my own healthcare plan. And if there's anything that anyone can learn from that on their first and hopefully only cancer, I, I hope that's hopeful. Hopefully with Bombbox, right, that you've got taking care of yourself, that it's not just all about prescription drugs, that unfortunately there's all sorts of other stuff that you need to help kind of muscle through this stuff, and there's no reason to suffer in silence. There's just not. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.